Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last week, we talked all about our must-have apps. So if you haven't listened to that, go take a listen and come back. That was hard. Claire and I were both saying that was hard to narrow it down to Mm -hmm. only a couple for each category. So we might have to do a part two, but we are back for another episode. So this week on the show, we have Sydney Bassard. She is an SLP who is an advocate for children with hearing loss. She's on Instagram as the listening SLP. You probably follow her. Um, we've loved all of her posts and we're really excited to talk with her and for her to be here today so that we can learn a little bit about working with children with hearing loss. Sydney, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. We are very excited for this. We've been looking forward to this. Um, So I guess to start, can you just tell us a little about yourself and your area of interest as an SLP? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I work in outpatient pediatrics within a hospital system. Um, And when I was searching for my CF, like one of the biggest things that I wanted was to be on a cochlear implant team, um, which is kind of hard as a CF, but I did it. And uh, I work as one of four SLPs now on uh, the cochlear implant team with my hospital. Uh, My primary area of specialization is working with kids with hearing loss, um, but I also specialize in literacy too. Very cool. What a cool first job. So you're in, how long have you been there? Uh, Going on two years. That's amazing though, to get that as a CF. That is so a really, really good first job. That's, that's great. Um, Sydney, where are you located? I am in Chesapeake, Virginia. Oh, it's right by Virginia beach. So I'm in, I didn't realize that I'm in Charlottesville. I just, I actually just went on a like sort of vacation to Virginia beach over new year's. Um, just kind of like a little getaway as far as we could get kind of thing. Um, so I, I'm very new to the area. I've only been here like six ish months, so I'm new, but I'm trying to explore. Oh, Claire and I just both had the most excited face when you said Virginia, (laughs) Um, Okay, so can you describe a little bit what a speech pathologist role would be in the identification of hearing loss in children? Yeah, so um, when I think of like what our role as an SLP is, is more so as support for the audiologist. Um, So audiology definitely takes a lot of that um, kind of lead role, especially with like the newborn hearing screenings, um, especially if a child fails, kind of that follow-up piece. But where I see a lot of it is these kids that are kind of getting late ID'd with hearing loss. 
and they've kind of fallen through the cracks. So I think as SLPs, we can think about like, but when you're doing a speech language assessment, like, are you screening for hearing beforehand? Or if it's a kid that you're like, I don't, I probably can't screen them due to their age or some other factors, um, you can always refer them out to audiology for them to get screened kind of in conjunction with that exam, just to make sure that hearing isn't component that we're missing um, when making clinical judgments and recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge thing, especially um, I know most people in a school setting do like routine hearing screenings. Um, but I think my biggest, when I worked in the school, my biggest issue with that was that it happened so quickly. And it was with like all, all of my kids were in the room and I was trying to get through them so quickly. Um, so can you talk a little bit about some other red flags besides a hearing screening? Because I feel like as an SLP for me, that's really all I know how to do. Um, so maybe some other things that we can look for besides just what a hearing screen gives us. Yeah, so I think one of the biggest ones um, is like if we're not turning to sounds in the environment, kind of those loud sounds um, is a huge one. And from some of my parents that I've talked with of kids that have gotten identified um, after birth, so they probably passed their newborn hearing screening, but then later on didn't, what they always tell me is like, I kind of realized that maybe weren't they weren't hearing me when I was making a lot of noise and they weren't paying me any attention. Um, you know, if a kid's not calling when you answer their name and these aren't just of hearing loss, but it's definitely something we'd look into. Um, you know, speech language delay and development, constantly needing repetitions. Um, you know, if we're listening to things or needing to listen to things at really loud volumes, those would all kind of be indicators for me that, oh, we might want to check this further. So Claire, I have a question for you. Did you do your screenings at your school? Yeah, we did the here, like the, with the audiometer. Yeah. Um, and I just went through like the kindergarten, the kindergartners went through like an expressive receptive screen. And then they also got their hearing screened at the same time. It was the the hardest two weeks, first two weeks of the year always, because it was so busy. Um, but it was so, it was in the hallway. So like nobody was really in the hallway. It was during class, mm -hmm. but it also like, sometimes people walked by cause it was right outside the room. So it just, to me, it didn't feel like it was super telling because mm -hmm. sometimes I felt like, Oh yeah, I think they raised their hand or I think they, mm -hmm. they heard it for, on that side. And it just, I, I felt like I, I couldn't always tell. And some of the kids, like you were saying, Sydney, maybe they fall through the cracks. Yeah. And what I was going to say too, is um, like in Claire's experience, a lot of SLPs, like they might screen at uh, 25 dB instead of 20 dB, which is that threshold for um, what we consider normal hearing or within normal limits. And so what happens is you have these kids that have like that mild loss that kind of get left out and missed in the cracks when right. we're screening um, just even below what's considered normal. Yeah. So it my so I'm in a elementary building and the way my district does it is a little bit different. We have someone from the county come in, an audiologist that's hired through the county and oh. they screen everyone. And then I just get a report of who failed. Um, and then like letters go home and I don't really handle any of that. But the bummer is they only do it like at the beginning of the year, like you said, Claire. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and our school is has kind of like a very transient population so we get a lot of kids that come like late October November and then kind of another bump in February and I know uh, two years ago, I had a fourth grader come to me um, who had an IEP already, was certified for speech and language impairment, and something just seemed really off, and I was seeing a lot of those red flags that Sydney had just mentioned, so I had recommended her for a um, hearing screening because, you know, that time had passed and whatever, and they found that she had a mild to moderate sensory neural hearing loss, and I'm like, I wonder how long, right? This has gone like undetected. And um, all that information she was missing. Oh, no. A and long time to, to fourth grade. I know. And then of course people wanted be prior to knowing that people wanted to certify her like a learning disability and all of these other things or change her track to a non-diploma track. And I'm like, whoa, there's other things going on. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really important, but circling back to you, Sydney, what would you say are some important considerations when working with those students that have a hearing loss? So I think like the biggest one you talked about, Rachel, was just like being able to understand that like there are more pieces to the puzzle um, when looking at children with hearing loss and really any child. I mean, we want to think like whole child situation um, and kind of going back a little bit. I think about one of the things that I didn't talk about was looking for factors is maybe inattention. Um, and so sometimes like we get kids that I have seen that are misdiagnosed with having other things um, when really it's like, it's not that they're not attending, they can't hear you. Um, so getting back to <laughs> what you yeah. just asked, yeah. um, I think one of the biggest considerations that can be given, and this is beneficial for all kids is FM systems. Um, we know that FM systems, boost that sound in schools, um, even in my office sometimes an outpatient, like the air conditioning is really loud um, and it's noisy. And in schools you have so many contributing factors to noise. The FM systems are excellent for our kids with hearing loss, but they're excellent for all learners because it boosts and attends that sound wonderfully. Um, Preferential seating is another big one. When I have kids that are starting to transition to school, I generally tell the parents, bring me the IEP and let's talk about some of these things. Mm -hmm. um, and like, what is preferential seating look like for that teacher and making sure that it's different per class? Because as we know, like teachers, teaching style has drastically changed over the years. Most people aren't standing in the front of the room, they're walking around. So making sure that they're at the point of access to sound um, mm -hmm. throughout the day is huge. Giving those closed captions, giving written instruction to kind of support what they might be missing. Um, making it an open and comfortable environment to ask questions. And I've had a lot of kids, um, especially recently, that they're like, I don't want to ask for a repetition or I don't want to ask somebody to rephrase because I don't want to come off as rude or I don't want to be disruptive. Um, so like making it, you know, it's okay if you need somebody to repeat something or if you need them to rephrase something, making it a kind of open dialogue between them and their teacher. Yeah. And for them to be an advocate for themselves as the child. Um, I remember when I had a child on my caseload with um, hearing aids when I was in the school, there was a hearing specialist that she also worked with that came in and helped her 
kind of orient to the classroom because she was in kindergarten. And one of her, the specialist goals for her was to be an advocate for herself to initiate when the battery died or when she couldn't hear something or different situations and scenarios that um, I think is so important because the child needs to learn to advocate for themselves. So I think that's a great goal to have. Definitely. So Sydney, how do you, and you kind of talked about this a little bit, but how do you kind of help teachers and maybe even more so parents? Cause you talked a lot about in the classroom, um, but parents that you work with, since you work in outpatient, how do you provide them with education on their child's hearing loss? Yeah, so I'm actually um, right now going through the process to get my auditory verbal therapy certification. Um, And that is very much a parent coaching and focus. So, you know, I might model how to do an activity and then have them do it in the room. Um, But I'm kind of big on like, let me give you this information that I have. So I love infographics and I love handouts Mm -hmm. that are kind of in that plain, simple language for parents to understand. And then I do a check-in the following week and say like, okay, is this making sense? Is this not making sense? Um, Or like, what can I clarify? And I also tell people, if this is information overload, you can tell me and we can like, we can stop here and then revisit it next week. Um, And I think that's the biggest thing like that I learned probably when I was a CF um, and like a new grad is you are so excited to share all the information that you've just like packed in your head over the past two, two and a half years that you just want to share it with everybody. But sometimes parents are not ready to receive that much information. So kind of tailoring it back and giving little chunks at a time. Um, One thing that I started doing in practice that I really liked was a journal. Uh, So it's just a composition book. And then we would pick like a learning to listen um, strategy for like the week. And I would give it to them with the definition of what they were supposed to do. You go home and try it, jot down how things went, and then let's revisit it in therapy the following week and see what we need to tweak. And I found that people were pretty receptive. Um, If they kept up with it and it wasn't too much, they were pretty receptive to it because then it was like a daily log of what was actually going on in the home. I think that's Amazing because yeah, I, I love that I'm, idea. I'm all for parent education, but I agree. Sometimes you right, you want to give them everything you know because you're like, I want to help you as much as I can, but it overloads for them. They're already dealing with maybe other therapies, maybe other things with the school, and giving them it all at once is maybe detrimental because they might not look at it because it's too much. So I think that's a great point, not just for children with hearing loss, but also other speech and language difficulties is to break it up to what the parents can emotionally handle at that time. And I really like the idea of the journal style Mm -hmm. log because um, Claire and I both have private practices also. And I know for me, at least so many times when I meet with my um, families each week, they're like, oh, they said a new word, but I forget what it was. Or, oh, they got really frustrated in this context, but I forget what was happening. So that would be the perfect situation, not necessarily directly tied to hearing loss, but the perfect situation for them to like live jot down down. while, yeah, yeah, while it was fresh in their mind. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Um, Oh, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say, like, I think even like for school-based SLPs, because you don't have as much direct access to parents and that can be like really frustrating 
because you're like, how do I get this information to them? Um, you know, like I make myself accessible to my families and maybe sometimes even too accessible, mm-hmm. but like I give them my email and I give them um, my personal number. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? Like, please feel free to send me an email. And I send a lot of things to parents through email. Like I saw this and here you go. And mm-hmm. sometimes I kind of group them based on like what I know the child is working on and say, okay, these families would really benefit from this. So let me send this to like this group of people. Um, That way, like you're able to kind of get the parent information out there, but you're also not burning yourself out by feeling as though like you're trying to keep tabs on every single child when you have a caseload of like 60 plus kids. Right. Yeah. That's a great idea. The group emails. That's amazing. Yeah. And you know what, that's one thing at least I can say positive about this like pandemic lifestyle is it's kind of forced me to become closer with my parents and have more frequent conversation because our school's still working virtually. So I'm talking to these parents a lot more than I would other than like maybe just once a year or twice a year at their IEP and parent teacher conferences. So that's one positive thing <laughs> that's yeah. come out of this. Yeah. Sydney, have you seen just kind of going off of the pandemic? Cause I'm curious, have you seen any difficulties within your practicing in your clinic with like PPE? Or I know I've seen lots of posts on how the mask obviously is not good for speech production as well as those hearing the sounds. So is, has there been any change or how have you guys kind of managed that? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been impactful. Yeah. Um, I think we were given clear masks. So we do have clear masks so that um, like your mouth is visual. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a face shield. I mean, I I feel like I have every PPE thing under the sun at this point, like a face shield, clear mask, paper mask, Mm -hmm. (laughs) doubled up on gloves. Um, But no, so that's kind of been challenging honestly because it's a filter and so your sound isn't as clear and so the voice isn't as clear um I think that's kind of the one beauties of telehealth is that like it takes a lot more work I would say planning for some of my um patients especially some of the ones that are little um with the family but like mom and dad are having to be really involved because my voice is not going to come out as clear through the computer as your voice who's sitting right there. with Yeah, absolutely. Are you seeing clients then over telehealth or are you mostly back in person? So I'm mostly in person, but I do see some through telehealth. Um, And then some kids, what I do is like, we do a trial of telehealth Mm -hmm. to like kind of see what they look like in their environment and then give the parents some more functional um, daily routine type things that they can work on. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And that helps get the parents involved too, like directly with try these things and whatnot. Um, Sydney, can you talk to us a little bit about the article that was published through ASHA that was talking about language samples with kids in hearing loss? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure you're talking about Werfel and Douglas. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So on a side note, um, Crystal Werfel, I worked in her research lab when I was in graduate school. Um, Awesome. And I, she was really gracious and let me um, write on some papers with her. So she is awesome. (laughs) And uh, she's a really like big advocate and researcher with children with hearing loss. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but looking at that article specifically. So I really appreciated that article and reading it when I was like learning a lot uh, because the gist of it is that like, we know that norm reference tests, we need them in schools, we need them for numbers, that's great. But like, do we want that to be our only, our only criterion for kids with hearing loss um, and really any kid really? And the answer mm -hmm. is no. And so what it was really finding is that like, there was discrepancy between like these kids could do well on standardized tests. But when you look at their language sample um, and you use like, they had specific criterion that they looked at for the language samples, like their language scores were not necessarily comparable um, with their age match peers that had typical hearing. Uh, so the long and short of it is like language samples are time consuming. Mm -hmm. They can be a lot of work and SLPs sometimes like really want to use them, but like we may not have the time, but realistically, they're a lot better indicator at just like what a child's language skills are looking like than a standardized test is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard too when it comes to like insurance coverage and um, I guess, depending on the school you're in, because some insurances unfortunately require standardized scores that are below average in order to qualify for services. So um, I guess, what do you do then if, if they do score with an average on a standardized test, but their language sample comes back and there's all these errors or whatever there is, um, what would you do for insurance? Would you just keep fighting it? I'm just curious. Sorry. I don't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> We're still um, asking both of you, like, what would you guys yeah. do? You know? I mean, I'd probably keep fighting it Yeah, because at the end of the day, like it really maybe I shouldn't use that word in this country <laughs> insurance determines everything and right. it's really unfortunate because there are so many kids that get denied for services right um so like not even thinking about like regular speech and language but like literacy therapy is right constantly denied like it's very rarely approved as just literacy if the child has something else like some language components some language processing some articulation then like they might approve it because they see like oh yeah they also have deficit in this but right. straight up just like this child has dyslexia and like we are we're working on phonological awareness no no coverage. And because it doesn't fit into their boxes. That's exactly. the issue. Like they have, they have speech and language boxes and that's it. There's I nothing else. That. And the closest thing that I can relate it to in the schools, just cause I don't personally have any students on my caseload right now with hearing loss is the GFTA, the Goldman Fristo for articulation. I don't know who made that test or what subgroups they were using for that, but Almost always when you give the sounds and words subtest versus the sounds and sentences sentences subtest mm -hmm. for the words, you get a low score that looks like, oh, they're definitely going to qualify. And then for sentences, you get an average score for mm -hmm. whatever reason. And I know at least in my county, you need two subtests to qualify them. So then I always put like a star and then write in a narrative as to, you know, how they are conversation excuse me, conversationally or how it impacts them educationally. So I hate that. I hate yeah. the boxes that they think everyone Then it's more work into. on us because, right, we have, to, we have to fight for it if it's denied. And then that's even more work that we're doing, plus the language sample that we did. And yeah, it's, 
It's just the world we're in though. And we kind of (laughs) have to just go with it. Um, Sydney, that's all we had for you. Are there any last thoughts that you want to leave our listeners with if they are working with children, kind of going back to hearing loss? Sorry, we kind of got off on a tangent about insurance, (laughs) but um, regarding hearing loss, is there anything else you would want people to know? Yeah, so I think one of like the biggest thing is, so most of my families have chosen um, to go the listening and spoken language route. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the biggest thing for SLPs to know is that like really uh, the family has the choice of communication modality and our job is to support that mm-hmm. um, regardless of if they choose spoken language, uh, cued speech, ASL, um, really kind of whatever it is. And then even like with listening and spoken language, um, our main goal is language first. And so sometimes we might have to add visuals or add something else to really help that child be able to develop language um, and kind of reiterating that to parents. Like, I know you may really want this, but like language is our goal. Um, That that's a huge one. And I think the other one is like, hearing is just one piece of the component. it's great to know like a lot about the hearing loss, but sometimes like it's not even the hearing loss. Sometimes it's, you know, there's cognitive things going on um, or there's like social pragmatics situations going on. So being able to like really know like the whole child is so important when treating, so important. Yeah, and that's across the board too. I think that's a great message and Mm -hmm. a great way to kind of wrap this all up too. Well, Sydney, thank you so much for being on here. You've been so great. And I just, I truly look up to you for doing so much in your short time as an SLP. Mm -hmm. I thought you just like from looking at your posts and everything, I thought you have been in the field so much longer. So I think that's great. And I'm so excited to, you know, see what else you do because you've already done so much. So, um, I, I really appreciate all you've done in our field. It's been great. Thank you guys for having me on. This is a lot of fun. Of course, of course. Thanks, Sydney. We did have a giveaway this week for our Show My Smile mask, which if you've been around for a while, you know how much we love those. And we've done a couple other giveaways. And with the Show My Smile mask, you also get the little anti-fog spray. So with randomly selecting, we did select a winner. And that is Lindsay Shellhorn. She is on Instagram as Sassy B speech. So cute. Um, so <laughs> Lindsay, if you are listening, please message us. If we don't hear from you in a couple of days, we will reach out to get your information so that we can send you your mask. Um, congratulations. Yay. So exciting. So really quick, before we end this episode, we did want to give you guys a heads up that the let's talk about speech podcast has a new handout series coming. So we will have a handout to go with almost every episode, um, that we talk about. These are going to be great for parents, for SLPs, um, anyone that the information would pertain to. So be on the lookout for that. Our website is under major construction, but it so should... don't look at it yet. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's way, way under construction. <laughs> Rachel and I are figuring it out. (laughs) Uh, But it should be great. And they've been a lot of fun to make so far. And it looks like a lot of people are really excited about them. So we are excited to share them. 
And that wraps up this episode. Thank you guys again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. You can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. Don't forget to check out our website once it's ready. We'll announce it. (laughs) And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe to us. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. And then Rachel and I also have the email for the podcast. Just let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Email us with questions or suggestions. If you or someone you know wants to be on the show, we love hearing from you guys. As always, thank you for listening. Bye.